So we are beginning a, a new series of conversations about a prayer. I've titled the, the series uh, Prayers uh, because we are supposed to be prayers. We're supposed to be people who pray, and we are supposed to lift up our prayers to God. And so I thought that was a good title. Uh, but um, I, I want you to be uh, aware, kind of full disclosure kind of thing, um, I'm not coming to you as an expert and telling you, here's, here's the way I do it and, and just do the same as I do because um, everything will work out well for you because I am not by any means an expert in prayer. In fact, um, I'm not sure if pe- people should be pastors when they're as bad at prayer as I am. But one of the good things about being a pastor is you get to share with people what it is you're working on. And so I'm working on prayer, and so I wanted to share it with you. Now, I know some of you are prayer warriors. This will be review for you. This will be old hat, so it won't matter to you. Um, some of you have gone beyond prayer warriors, you're prayer ninjas, and, and we should all like, you know, be glad you're around, you know, keeping the sun rising or whatever through your prayers. So, I, I'm glad you're here. I'm not one of you. My hope is someday maybe I can become a prayer recruit or private or something. Um, but that's kind of where, where I'm at. And I, I, my guess is there's some other people in here who are also not prayer warriors. So, uh, what I wanted to do is to look at, um, uh, lessons we get from the Bible that do tell us how to pray. And because, again, I'm not an expert, um, I don't want a list of instructions. I'm not good with instructions. I want an example. Don't, don't tell me what to do. Show me what to do. That's kind of my thinking when it comes to prayer. So what I want to do is I want to look at some passages in the Scriptures that, that don't simply tell us how to pray, but actually show us how to pray. And that's what, that's what we're going to be doing for the next couple of weeks, looking at different prayers in the Scriptures. And the one I want to look at today I've called Matchmaker, and it's about... Um, this incident in the life of Isaac. Isaac is one of the patriarchs, and he is um, maybe of, of the patriarchs, he's probably the one who gets kind of the least uh, respect or at least the least attention. And it's, he's kind of in that middle generation. His, his father Abraham is famous. Everybody's heard of Abraham. He's the, the founder of not simply Judaism and not even Judaism plus Christianity, but even Judaism and uh, Islam uh, all spring from the relationship that that Abraham had with God. So Abraham is very famous. He's this great patriarch, and we know about Abraham. And Jacob, uh, Isaac's son Jacob, who comes up later in this story, he he um, is also famous. Not not as much as, as the name Jacob, but under the new name he gets later in his life, he becomes Israel and goes on to be the 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 father of all the tribes of Israel. The whole nation of Israel uh, owes it owes its existence to. Israel, the son of Isaac. So uh, Isaac is kind of wedged in between there. He only gets a, a couple of chapters, unlike the others who get chapter after chapter. So we don't hear as much about Isaac, and we're not even going to hear about Isaac today. We're going to hear about somebody even more obscure than Isaac. We're going to hear about a servant in um, Isaac's household or his father's household, Abraham's household, um, who does this task for Isaac, who goes off and gets Isaac a wife from this faraway country, and uh, we don't know we don't know what his name is. He's not only obscure; he's he's anonymous. Uh, people have speculated that he might be uh, a, a man named Eliezer of Damascus. Uh, if you go back to chapter fifteen, um, Abraham has mentions one of his servants there, a man named Eliezer of Damascus, and he says he says he's the my chief servant. In the story, we hear about a chief servant. We don't know if they're the same one, but 60 years have gone through, you know, gone under the bridge now. Maybe Eliezer has, has retired. We don't know who this man is. He's the chief servant of Abraham. 
and um, we're going to hear about his encounter with um, Rebecca and see what we can learn from it um, in the hopes that by looking at looking at uh, who he was, how he prayed, and then what happened, we can get some um, examples that we can try to apply in our own lives and and maybe some encouragement along the way. So, so the story, uh, as we've heard, is that Abraham uh, summons his servant and says, I want you to go fetch a wife for my son Isaac. Uh, the reason is that Abraham is getting on in years. Uh, a long time ago, Abraham had an encounter with God, and God said, you will have children, you will have offspring, and you will have a land. I'm going to give you both of those things. And a lot of time has gone by, and, and Abraham's getting a little anxious. Is that really going to happen? Uh, he's got two children now. He's got a son named Ishmael, uh, but God has told him, no, don't, don't worry about Ishmael. That's not your deal. Um, you did that on your own. I'm going to bless him because I like you, Abraham, but he's not the one I'm, I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about Isaac, your other son. Uh, so he says, that's going to be the one that you're going to have offspring through. And Abraham's looking around saying, I don't see any offspring. So he's thinking, you know, what if I die? Uh, you know, Isaac needs a wife. So he tells, he tells his servant, go fetch him a wife. Um, don't, don't get one of these local Canaanite women. Um, uh, for whatever reason, he says, I, I don't want a, a local girl. I want you to go find somebody from my ancestral land um, in uh, Aram Naharim. I had to practice how to say it. It's Mesopotamia. And it is exactly the part of Iraq you don't want to go to right now. It's the place where the Islamic State is. It's somewhere between Syria and Iraq. And you really don't want to go there unless you look good in orange and without a head. So um, so that's that's where this servant travels to, uh, to that part of uh, the Fertile Crescent. Um, and uh, that's where we pick up this story in um, verse 10. So the servant took ten of his master's camels, we read, and he departed, taking all kinds of choice gifts from his master. And he set out and went to Aram Naharim, to the city of Nahor. Um, so so he packs up uh, ten camels. He, he is, he's sworn to do this, and so he figures the best way to do this is to bring a great overwhelming show of riches. Uh, he knows that, that whatever girl he finds there, uh, her father is going to want a dowry, and so he figures the best way to kind of melt someone's uh, um, uh, indifference or the quickest way to their heart, you know, diamonds are a girl's best friend, whatever it is, he's thinking, if I have ten camels full of choice goods, they're going to know I not only can pay the dowry, but I can pay any dowry. So that'll kind of make it easier to find someone if they know that they're not going back to a faraway country to be penniless. So um, it's, a, it's a good strategy. He gets there with these ten camels, and he parks them there. He makes the, makes the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water. It was toward evening, the time when the women go out to draw water. And about then, the magnitude of his problem occurs to him because he sees, he sees all the, the women coming out of the city to draw water at the well. And he's going, oh my goodness, who's the right one? I, you know, I should have thought of this before I left um, back, back in, in Canaan. I don't know how am I going to find the right one. Uh, you know, Abraham told me, you know, that, that there's, God would send his angel ahead and he says, God's got somebody who's been appointed here. How do I find her? And so what he does is he prays. It, it doesn't say he prays. It doesn't say he kneels down and he raises his hands, anything like that. It just says, he says, Oh Lord, 
God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. So he prays, um, he, he says, okay, God, I need your help here. Um, and then he gives God advice about how to give that help. So he says, and here's how you should do that. He says, I'm standing here by the, by the spring of water. Let the girl to whom I shall say, please offer your jar that I may drink, and who shall say drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. He says, by this I shall know. So he says, God, I need your help, and here's how you need to help me. So I'll know it's you who's helping me and not somebody else who's helping me. So uh, that's, that's what happens. And um, sure enough, before he has finished speaking, there was Rebecca. And exactly what he had um, hoped for takes place. Uh, she, she comes down. She's eligible. She's a virgin. No man has known her. She, uh, uh, she's a relative. Um, she went down to the spring, filled up her jar, and came up. So he runs over to meet her and says, Please let me slip a little, sip a little water from your jar. And she says, Drink, my lord. And then when she finishes, she'll say, I will draw your camels also until they finish drinking. Um, now, uh, uh, I, I was reading this week trying to decide what's up with this, this kind of advice that, um, that the servant gives God about how to have his prayer answered. Um, is, this, is this a complicated test or is it not? Um, it looks pretty complicated to me. But uh, some of the some of the things I was reading this week said this is actually basic hospitality in that culture that uh, the girl would have been expected to you know when this traveler shows up to to bring him water so uh, maybe it's just kind of a, you know he's he's saying God find me somebody who is appropriately hospitable not somebody who's like jumping through a lot of hoops but just someone who's appropriately hospitable maybe that's the case on the other hand I also read that a camel who has traveled across the desert will drink 15 will drink 30 gallons of water in 15 minutes and she says here I'll water all 10 of them and so I'm thinking well that's more hospitable than I would be so maybe this is kind of a very special unique case of somebody who's who's being particularly willing to uh, to cooperate um, so whatever it is um, uh, he 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 says, you know, sure, water my camels, and then he stands there, um, uh, gazing at her in silence to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. So that's the story. And what I'd like to do is is make two observations, and then maybe talk about an application that we can try out in our own lives. So the first observation is: uh, Did you notice when he prays? Did you notice when Abraham calls him into his tent and says, "I've got a task for you." He says, hold on just a second, I need to pray about this. No, he does not do that. Uh, when he's procuring the camels and the choice goods for the camels, um, does he pray then? When he sets out, you know, and you know, uh, winds up his GPS to head off to this part of uh, the world, does he, does he pray then? D- no, it's not until he gets to the city and is looking at this wave of women coming out with their buckets to get water that he thinks, oops, <laughs> I should have prayed here because I have no idea how I'm going to do this task that I'm signed up to do. I don't know about you, but that's one of the chief reasons I don't pray. Because I should have prayed a long time ago. I should have prayed months ago, years ago. I should have talked to God about it then, and I didn't. And now if I pray about it now, he'll know why. He'll know the reason I'm not praying now is because I didn't pray then. And so I say, well, better to just keep him in the dark. That way he won't help me. And so, you know, it doesn't make any sense, but I find myself doing that. I don't pray 
because it's too late to pray. Except what the scriptures teach us is it's not too late to pray. That God won't answer the prayer until you pray it. So the time to pray is now, even if a better time to pray would have been yesterday or a month ago, now's a great time to pray. So that's the first observation. The second one is about this this test where he says, God, I'll do this, and then she'll say that, and then you know this other thing will happen, and then she'll do that, and 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 that way I'll know that you're the one who's helping me because I don't want to be helped by just you know random coincidence. Um, I want you to answer my prayer, God, because then I'll know that you're the one answering my prayer. And do you notice what happens with that this test he's arranged? It doesn't work. It, he does this thing, and no sooner has he finished this prayer, he has just spoken this prayer, and she comes out. There was it says while he was still talking. Um, what. While he was still talking, um, there was Rebecca, and she comes out with a water jar. So he's still talking, he's still making his prayer, and the prayer is being answered in real time, and exactly the things he's proposed happen. And he doesn't know if it's an answer to his prayer. You know, uh, I don't know if you've had this situation where you say, well, I'm not sure if that's really, you know, I don't really want to do this thing. So I will pray, God, show me, show me your will. And then, ah, oh, that was pretty ambiguous. <laughs> that probably wasn't what I thought it was. So, so sometimes we can, we can tell ourselves, well, that wasn't an answer to prayer. And, and what we see here is that ultimately, even when the answer is perfectly clear, we can, we can still say, well, I'm not sure. Um, the scriptures tell us about a man named Gideon, and he arranges this test where he says, one day God has to answer this prayer by making this, this uh, 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 sheep's fleece wet, and then the next day, he's got to answer the prayer by making it dry. And God does it both ways. And he still manages to kind of debate whether or not, whether or not that's God who's at work there. So, so I think the observation here is that prayer requires trust. You're not smarter than God. You can't come up with a test that will prove that God is doing something. Ultimately, you're going to have to trust that God is a good God, that God delights to give good gifts to his children, and you're just going to have to trust it and, and take yes for an answer because you can't outwit God and come up with this perfect little little thing for God to do to prove it. So it's not too late and, and to trust God. So those would be the two observations. And then for an application, I think the application is, is that we should pray. Um, uh, I, I don't know if any of you are on Facebook. I know some of you are on Facebook, but I don't know how many of you are on Facebook. But Facebook has kind of taken a, a turn up in terms of these dumb things that go around. Uh, the last couple of things I've seen that have gone around have been kind of good. I like the ice bucket challenge. I think that's a good idea. Uh, some of the videos have been fun. But just that idea of, of raising money for a good cause, that's a good thing. It's better than a lot of what goes on Facebook. And then recently I've started to see this thing. It's a challenge where every day for five days you're supposed to say three things you're thankful for, three things you're grateful about. And I think that's a great that's a great challenge to encourage people to do that. So I'm going to uh, uh, please if you're involved in one of those by all means do so. But I wanted to encourage you with a different kind of challenge. I want you to pray five days for three marriages. I want you to be like this servant and pray for three marriages. Now, if you're like me and you're kind of reading the the text closely, you say, "Well, I'm not sure if that would work because this is a special marriage. This is the marriage between Isaac." 
and Rebecca, and we, we know all the things that happened because of that, that, that you know, all of history uh, flowed out of that. But the servant didn't. The servant, he knew that, that God and, and Abraham had some kind of a deal going on. He had no idea what, what, what God was going to do with uh, this union, uh, how Isaac and Rebecca were going to be um, uh, influential in the history of the people of God. He had no idea about that. He was simply praying for this marriage that he was trying to help broker. So we can do the same thing. We can pray for people's marriages because we know what the servant knew. God cares about marriages. God cares about people's marriages. When when I'm celebrating a wedding, one of the things I do is I read, you know, from my, my book, I read that dearly beloved part that, you know, kind of is at the beginning. As people are kind of settling into the wedding. Um, uh, and I'll read it because it explains some of the reasons that God likes marriages, why God is invested in people's marriages. And, you know, there's the obvious ones. God invented sex. He wants us to enjoy sex. And so he created this, this uh, a safe place where people can, can have an intimate relationship with someone and enjoy the gift of sex. Um, it's, it's, it's a place where that, that in turn becomes the glue to hold a family together so that children can have a safe place to grow up. So there's, there's these reasons we appreciate, but even beyond there, beyond that, there's a theological reason. God has a reason of his own why he wants people's marriages to be successful. God wants us to be able to look at marriages that we know about. Our own marriage, the, the, the neighbor of the marriage across the street, uh, the neighbors who are married across the street. God wants us to look at marriages in our own, in our own context and say, oh, I understand something spiritual. Because the scriptures tell us that God views the relationship between Jesus and the church as closer than anything else to a human marriage. That, that when we look at a marriage, when we look at our own marriage, when we look at the, the neighbors uh, or, or our children's marriages, when we look at a marriage, we should see something and go, oh, so that's kind of what it's like between Jesus and the church. The scriptures tell us that Jesus is like a bridegroom who's coming back for his bride. They tell us that, that the, the church will be spotless and without blemish like a bride prepared for her husband. So God wants us for theological reasons, for reasons of his own that don't really impact us on a day-to-day level. God wants us to be able to look at marriages and say, oh, I understand something now about God that I didn't understand. God is heavily invested in marriage. God cares about people's marriages. So pray for marriages. Pray for marriages just like this man did. Pray for your own marriage. Pray for your kid's marriage. Uh, uh, I, I've known people who did that, and then on like the rehearsal dinner, they tell the, the, the spouse-to-be, hey, did you know we've been praying for you for 20 years? We, we had no idea who you were going to be. We had no idea anything about you, but now we've met you. We've been praying for you for 20 years. That's a great prayer. Pray for marriages. Pray for those people across the street and you wish they would get married because they're not married right now. Pray for marriages. Some of us have, have because of our society and the way things have turned out in our own lives, we've got complicated situations. We're in a blended family. Pray for those marriages. Pray for your own. Pray for Pray for your ex-spouse's marriage. Because just because things didn't turn out the way you'd hoped for doesn't mean that God doesn't want that new marriage to work out. 
Pray for every marriage you know of. Pray for the marriages of the people at work. You know, I've wondered how many casual adulteries would have been avoided if instead of walking down the hall and flirting with that person who seems to care, we'd stayed in our office and prayed for them because God cares about their marriage. Pray for marriages. Let me close with this observation. Jesus says, um, sorry, Jesus, the servant says, the servant says um, to God, God, I want you to help me. But he has some sense that who is he, really? You know, he knows somebody that God gets along famously with. So he says, do this for Abraham. The servant knows sometimes it helps to drop a name. That if you really want, if you really want God to get involved in, in helping you out, it helps to drop a name. So he drops Abraham's name. And that's a great name. But we have a better one. We've been told, we've been taught, Jesus instructs us to use his name, to lay his name on the table and say, God, do this in Jesus' name. He tells us that any request we make in his name, every request we make in his name, the Father will grant. That's kind of an amazing promise. And because Jesus made so many amazing promises, because he said so many things that people would have trouble believing, he said, here's something I want you to do. And so a few hours before he was arrested, he took a piece of bread and he took some wine and he told his disciples, I want you to have a meal like this every so often. I want you to remember all the things I've promised. I want you to remember the way I have promised to be at work in your life, the way I've promised to give you eternal life. He says, I want you to eat a piece of bread and remember... I gave my body for you. He says, I want you to drink some wine. And remember, I shed my blood for you. And we're going to celebrate that in a few minutes right here. We're going to do that to remember Jesus told us, use his name to get God to grant our prayers. And then this week, let's pray for 15 marriages. Five days, three marriages. Pray for everybody you know who's married. Because God really cares about marriage. Let's pray. Loving and holy God, we give you thanks that you do care about marriage, that you have ordained it and instituted it. And Lord, I pray that we could be people, as our society debates marriage and sexuality, that instead of simply having opinions and spouting off our ideas, we could be people who act on our beliefs, who show the world how important we think marriage is, by spending time praying for it, by getting you involved. So we pray, Lord, that by doing that, we can help people's marriages and we can change the the direction and the content of our society's discussions about marriage. We pray these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.